So we're coming out of 2021, going into 2022. I want to title this one, The Fear Trap. See, a lot of people right now, and probably all the way up until the end of this year, all the way up until New Year's, a lot of people, and you can kind of feel it in the air, a lot of people have this PTSD towards the past two years. So a lot of people, most people, worldwide, are coming into 2022 with a sense of relief. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I've never been particularly a fan of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but I respect the art. I'm a striker by nature. I particularly love striking and striking-based martial arts like, like Muay Thai and Jeet Kune Do. I love karate. And sure, these sports, uh, these fighting styles, they do have, you know, uh, grappling aspects to them, uh, submissions, locks, holds, all that. But there's something interesting about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I want to bring that idea into this conversation that I want to have about fear traps. Because there is such a thing. See, if you ever watch a bout between two experienced jiu-jitsu pr- uh, practitioners, you will notice something very high-level and technical about these matches. See, anyone who knows anything about BJJ will tell you that the easy way out is usually how you get caught. See, what usually happens and how a submission usually goes down between two high-level practitioners of BJJ is that one guy will try a hold or a grapple or a lock on their opponent. And it's not initially the lock that they're going for. It's just a lock that they managed to work out in the moment. And what they usually are going to do is use this lock or this hold or even an actual choke, like a real naked choke or an arm bar, to switch over into another hold or lock as soon as the person tries to escape or has escaped the previous hold or lock. This is usually how you get caught. And and it, and it requires a lot of pressure and timing and patience to catch you with it. But a skilled practitioner of BJJ will catch you and usually trying to escape something that he's already had on you, like a rear naked choke or, or an armbar or a lock or a foothold or anything like that. And they're going to use that. They're going to use that to trap you because the minute that you try to escape it, there's usually going to be another uh, hold or lock waiting for you. And that's usually how people get caught.
Now, fear-based decisions, I've talked about this in previous uh, uh, podcasts, but fear-based decisions are what gets you caught in traps in life. People don't really pay attention to these things because a lot of times we're running from something instinctively, usually past failures, usually uh, things that we would wish to avoid. Usually, mostly things that we don't like. But I say that to say this. If you're going into 2022 with the idea in your head that as long as things are better than 2021 and 2020, you're already setting yourself up for failure. If you're a benchmark, if, uh, if the test that you want this next year to go by is in comparison to the past two years or to past anything, failures, whatever, you're setting yourself up for failure from jump. It's not easy, life. It's just not. But fear-based actions, usually, mostly, just create new problems down the road. I'll give you a perfect example. See, when we were little kids, we grew up, and and we grew up in the hood, like the hood hood, like South Dallas, South Oak Cliff hood. And then through a crazy series of events, we went from the hood to the suburbs. Now, there's a very big difference between the hood and the suburbs. New situations, new problems. But there's something that my mother used to always tell me that has never not been true. See, wherever you go is where you're at. If you're bad with money in New York, you will be bad with money in Chicago. You can think this moving over to Chicago is going to make everything beautiful and awesome and fantastic. You can think that all you want to. You can even get a better job. You can even get a better partner, a better mate, better living circumstances. You can get, you know, all the things that you wanted to in this move. And really, let's let's go down that rabbit hole for just a second. Just think about it. Let's just say you're working at McDonald's. You're bad with money. You've always been bad with money. You're spending your money on, on weed and booze and stuff, you know, to, to stay self-medicated or whatever it is that you, that you do for, you know, for getting these drugs or drinking or doing whatever you do with your money. But you're bad with money. Obsessive shopping, whatever, you know, what, what so have you. And let's just say you put out all these applications and you get this dream job and all they want you to do is move from New York to Chicago. And you'll go from working at McDonald's uh, to, you know, uh, and let's just say for shits and giggles that you're a manager at that McDonald's. And you go from being a manager at McDonald's to being a manager at a high-end Walmart in the suburbs of some really, really ritzy freaking town. You're, you're, you're 
pay increases by a, a good margin. Shoot, we could even go up one higher. Let's just say you went from being a, a bank teller to uh, being a clerk at a gigantic law firm. You know, office clerk at a law firm uh, overnight. And now you got to move from New York to Chicago to uh to do this thing and they're going to take care of it you're going to be a part of all these benefits and all these packages but you're bad with money you're bad with impulse control and so now let's just say you've moved from a place where you had family because let's say i mean you let's say you're from new york you got family in new york you got friends in new york you got all kinds of, of things that are familiar in new york Probably been making it in New York for a hot minute. So now you're moving to a new area with new people, with a new job, with new with, with new money, you know, more money than you were making before, with a new title, more prestige, more respect, more respectable position. Gone up a level. You've gone a le- up a level on paper, but have you gone up a level mentally? I would say not, because what happens, what normally happens is, and I've seen this, I've I've seen this happen, I know real life stories of this happening, but what ends up happening is you go over there, you get the new job, and best case scenario, you're doing slightly better than you were before, but you still got the same problems because you're still spending the same. You know, this is where you see people, they'll get a promotion and they've already spent their promotion. Like they do it every check because they they were making more money. So they they were spending because they have more money to, 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 to burn. So, of course, they're getting all the things that they always wanted. They're spending more and they're eating out more. And, da, 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 da. and so like nothing's changed. Not really. In fact, if anything, you haven't even really made a promotion. If anything, you, you just... You, you made a level up in in the in the the trinkets and things that you have around your house, but you haven't necessarily evolved any. You're still the same person, just making more money. So you're still going to have the same problems, just making more money to solve those problems. Which I guess is slightly better, but is it really better overall? I wouldn't say so, because. 50-50, if things go south, you're going to wind up in the exact same situation that you were in Chicago, but worse now, because now you're completely cut off and removed from anybody that could have helped you. You're around a whole bunch of new people. You're in a new environment, in a new place. All because you were running away from old problems that you easily could have rectified by a little bit of self-control. You see what I'm getting at? Fear-based decisions usually always require you to do one thing. The one thing that you're not supposed to. uh, 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 All right. I will say the one thing is the one thing that you should have done is not avoid the things that you should have done. Uh, As I'll say, that's what the one thing is. That's, that's That's really the difference in all of it. That's kind of the story of a lot of our lives and how we got into the messes that we got ourselves into 
was our unwillingness to set right the thing that we could have set right when we had the time to do it. I had a friend of mine that I used to work for. And uh, they were always kind of letting their, their kids do whatever. It was just like at the peak of COVID. And uh, I had to get a job real quick. So I worked at this place called Annie's Pretzel Shop. It was just a quick little job that I needed while I was waiting. I had moved to this new area just a few years back. I, I had moved to this new location and uh, this new city. And uh, I needed I needed like a quick little part-time job while I was working my main job. And... Uh, so I got this you know, job at Walmart. It's like this little Annie's Pretzel Shop place. And uh, it, was, it was easy. You know, they were short-staffed. They needed people like right then and there. Uh, it was so bad because of COVID that the whole family worked at this place. Like the guy who owned it, his wife, you know, ran it for him during the day. He was a business guy and uh, like did a whole bunch of like business-related stuff. You know, so he couldn't you know manage and run the place, but the whole family worked there. They had to because like they couldn't afford staff because of COVID. They had to let everybody go. And so I come in, you know, at the at the basically the middle of COVID, and uh, was helping these guys out. I come in, I opened up the place for them every day, set everything up, made deal with customers all day. Sales went up, you know, a little bit while I was there, because uh, I tried to be friendly and helpful and stuff like that. But I mean, it, it it was a job, and I'm you know I'm a cook. I like to cook. I can cook just about anything that I put my mind to. So I mean, this was just like this was nothing. So I was just sitting there handling it. I had a daughter. A daughter that was uh that it was going you know to Georgia or something like that like that she she was she was going to uh college and she had gotten an internship in Atlanta and uh I, she was supposed to be following this chick around that was um she was, she was, I don't know, I forgot what type of business this was, but this girl was going to school to design clothes. She wanted to be a clothes designer. And uh, so she was interning with this startup company, which is really just one woman. So I, the entrepreneurs these days calling things companies when it's just one person is just funny to me. But it was a startup company and it was just this one lady and basically... You know, my boss's daughter was going to be, they didn't know this at the time, but was going to be running errands for her. You know, picking up her kid, handling dry cleaning, stuff like that, helping her to, to organize clients and, and, and things like that. Basically just being a glorified secretary. This girl didn't know this, of course. She thought that she was going to be going with this person that was a clothes designing expert, apparently, and learning the ins and outs of designing clothes wasn't what happened and then when she got out here to this place now to set the stage this poor girl she was she had a horrible spending habit she was always trying to get her hands on the latest this and the latest that and this is before she did the internship so think about it you got what an 18 year old girl that's obsessed with trinkets and things going to an internship in atlanta with a woman who's into trinkets and things but she's 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 starting a business that's around trinkets and things, and she has an intern that's going to be running errands for her and doing all kinds of stuff and getting, you know, not necessarily paid for it, 
and her parents are footing the bill. And her parents aren't setting boundaries or guidelines for how this is all going out. They're all just kind of letting their daughter figure this thing out because she really, really wants to do it. And of course, what girl wouldn't want to, you know, hang out with a clothes designer and be her personal secretary and ride around and I mean, who who wouldn't who what girl wouldn't want to do that? I mean, it's a, it's a job, right? You're working towards something, right? You know, towards a career. And these are all the things that this poor girl had in her head. And of course, the time over there got more and more expensive because now you have to find a place to stay, whilst not necessarily getting paid. And of course, all the places are either bad or interesting or complicated. Now, <clears throat> bear in mind that the lady that is offering the internship has not once in any of this uh, told the child that she might need to save her money. I don't know, um, give her a coaching on, you know, things to look out for and uh when when finding uh, a living arrangements uh i think the best that this woman did was she gave the girl a listing of all, all the cheapest places that she could uh she could rent out uh but most of them were all places that were on the uh nicest sides of town where they were going to be working it was just it was just a hot mess all the way around uh the the lady that was was offering the internship uh didn't really care what the girl uh, uh brought to the table other than her being able to fulfill um the errands that she was going to have her running and uh the poor girl didn't didn't ask any questions about what she was actually going to be doing uh so it just it turned into a thing where the girl ended up hemorrhaging funds and couldn't even feed herself. Her mother had to come down there and rescue her and then, you know, and bring her back and then she ended up back at Annie's Russell shop working again uh with with us. And that's a sad story. And it it was emotionally scarring for the girl because she had to watch the cold, harsh reality of life play out. Because, I mean, everything that she told this woman was like, well, I'm sorry, that's, that's your problem. Because in that woman's head, you know, they offered the internship. I could just get another intern to do this. You know, I got a bad one. But to this girl, she had had her dreams, like, just within her grasp. Or at least she thought. But she didn't do the she didn't do the work beforehand she didn't plan she didn't save a dime she literally went from work school to internship college atlanta like it's gone all one shot like and me and i watched the whole thing play out it was sad because beforehand she was all super excited talking just dreams and just like yeah yeah i'm going to atlanta it's gonna be so great I'm going to get the design clothes. I'm going to get the... And all she would all talk about on the other, on the flip side of that, too, was how much she hated working there and how much she couldn't wait to get away from her family and get off out into the world. But she didn't do the work. 
I had a buddy of mine that I I tell this I tell this story. I tell this story because uh, it's one that's always had a lot of perspective for me. There is this guy named Joseph. Well, anybody who knows me knows knows this story, but there's this guy named Joseph. I grew up with Joseph. I mean, I didn't really grow up with Joseph, but I mean, I was a, I was a pastor's kid to set the stage, and uh, this was around the time that my mom had met my stepdad, Fred. He's a pastor, or he was he was wanting to be a pastor at this time. But we had first started going to church. The first church that we went to was a was a it was a very strict old school Baptist church. Very strict old school Baptist church. They used to call themselves militant Baptist, which I always thought was kind of scary. But I mean, they were very very strict and starch, you know, people. And to set the arc of this story, and, and and this is very, very important to note, is that every person in this story is a professing Christian. Every single one. And this is not to shame Christians or anything. This is just to set perspective because I myself uh, call myself a Christian. But very in low tones because it's not something that I can... That's a topic for another time, but it's just not, it's not something that I just go around just saying... But anyways, back to Joseph. Sorry, I got interrupted. Um, so, Joseph, he's easy to describe. Very easy to describe. He's He was like 6'4", probably like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, yeah, he was 6'4". Tall, pale, it was all get out, glasses, I, I would say if you thought about like what Ichabod craved from like from like the Sleepy Hollow story, where he looked like that's what you get Joseph, except think nerdy, like he had like these like these thin framed glasses that he wore all the time, and they had the gold frames like the, those old ones, you know, with the with the they were like gold, and they had the little hoop that wrapped around your ear, very basic, you know, looked almost uncomfortable, and, and they were and they were thin. You know, like thin tin, but it was gold. And there were thin glasses went over his eyes, and he had this curly brown hair with this giant curly bouffant in the front of his head. That was natural; it never went away. And he had these little bead buck teeth, and uh, the his two front teeth one was overlaid on the other and, and crooked, turned thin. So uh, he's just he's just <laughs> he's just he's just a, a, a odd, weird looking guy. Like by modern standards, he would have he would have got a lot of chicks. I, I would definitely say he would he would he would have got he would have got a lot of chicks, you know. But anyways, Joseph, he was he was a great guy, and uh, he was a youth minister, wanted to be a pastor. He was dead set on being a pastor. He thought that it was his calling. I would say, without ego, that he was probably the closest representation of the word Christian that I could think of. Like, the embodiment of what I would think if someone was trying to be Christ-like, 
I would say it would have been Joseph. He had a ministry with this church that we went to. It was a bus ministry. I mean, he, of course, he was a youth pastor there as well, but he took pride in the bus ministry because he would go and knock on doors. This is old school church. Like anybody who knows anything about church, like knocking on doors to get people to go to church is old school church. So just I'm dating myself, but I used to go with him. I was, I was like 16. Just go knock on doors and get these kids to come to church. Local kids in you know west side of San Antonio. Yeah, years and years and years ago. And uh, Joseph loved it. He loved the kids. The kids loved him. He go and he spoke Spanish. And I mean, he was Latino. He was a Latino guy. He was wedo though. You know, wedo is uh, was you know when you're real real light skin. San Antonio the Mexicans they make fun of you and they call you wedo. They used to make fun of each other like that when they were light skin like that. And, and, and Joseph even had freckles. Like he was so light. So he almost looked like a white boy. <laughs> so like when he would knock on people's doors, they would kind of pull back a little bit. Like thought like he was, <laughs> thought like he was with like the tax people or something. And Joseph would start talking. He was always very polite. He had a little bit of a lisp because of his teeth, you know, and stuff. So he talked a little funny. And, um, but he I mean he got those kids. He pick them up every Sunday, and I my stepdad, you know, he'd get me up because he was a he was a deacon at the church, so we we got there early, and I would get there. You know, all the men of the church would be there, and then uh, me and Joseph we would duck off and go do our thing, and we became friends, became good friends. You know, I had problems at home, you know, not feeling heard and feeling invisible, you know, and, and dealing with you know my issues that I've been dealing with at home that nobody knew about, and Joseph had his issues you know, that nobody knew about. His issues particularly was that he was kind of a running joke of the church. Even the pastor made fun of him. My parents made fun of him. Everybody made fun of him. Joseph was kind of the everybody's good whipping boy because he was easy to make fun of. And Joseph never said anything. He never talked back. And he never defended himself because it was one of those things where he wanted so desperately to be of use. He wanted so desperately to be accepted, to be invited to the party, to be let in on the game. That was what he wanted. And more than anything else, he wanted the pastor's daughter. He was in love with the pastor's daughter. And she was gorgeous. She was a gorgeous girl. I can remember to this day. She was pretty. And he was all about it. And she didn't want nothing to do with this dude at all. And so that in itself was a running joke. And so I used to watch my parents. This always pissed me off too. Just, you know, we'd be going home. And uh, every day that we go to this church, something would happen that would involve Joseph being made fun of. Or the pastor would single him out and everybody would start laughing. And then my parents would laugh and joke about it on the way home. So, I, I don't know. I always kind of felt sorry for Joseph. And we started hanging out after church. And I realized that he was in the same, some of the same stuff I was into. He was in the anime. I was in the anime. He was in the video games. I was in the video games. And he particularly was in the computers. My dad was in, in the computers. And most of the, anything back then that my real dad was into, I was into too. So... 
you know, me and Justin, we talked about computers and girls and and a lot of church stuff. You know, we were very, very, we were very, very clean, chaste men. You know, back in this day. So I mean, he always encouraged me in, in God and you know, and 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 not getting too caught up in my temper and stuff like that. You know, he was a good dude, and he was a good mentor. And uh, I remember many, many times we hung out. Uh, and uh. We just ride around his his old little car, he had this little maroon old old I don't even know what it was called his old Chrysler, and he ride around him because he was he was a young guy going to Bible college, he was going to Bible college to be a pastor. So I mean he didn't have a whole lot of money, never had a whole lot of money, and he, I mean he'd give his last dime to you if he had it, but he had the savings. I mean he was he was he was a young man making it. His living arrangements were meager. Um, he lived at the back of these these old people, very very old people, and they had this little they had a house, and then they, they had a you know backyard and this long driveway that led to this little bitty like, I guess like back house that, I guess I don't know it, it didn't even look like it used to be a shed it just looked like a little teeny tiny house they rented out, and he paid like three hundred a month and it was meager, had like a, like a tiny refrigerator and a, and a window unit, and. All of that that I told you about Joseph, if you looked at him, if you asked him if he was happy, he would have told you, hell yeah. I mean, he was he was as happy as he's always had a smile on his face, never was trying to hide his teeth, didn't even care. Never, In fact, many times as I met the guy, his teeth weren't even all that white. They were yellow. They were just, they were yellow. I mean, like he didn't, he didn't care about appearances. He didn't care. He didn't carry not a name, brand, nothing. But he was happy. He was. He loved his life, at least Joseph I knew, when I knew him. He loved his life, and he loved those kids, and he loved being of service to them, being able to be the person that they called if they needed anything, if they felt unsafe at home. Any of them kids would have called Joseph. He was just an easy guy to talk to. If you wanted to talk to somebody that would listen, you'd talk to Joseph. But Joseph was never heard, and he wanted so desperately to find love and faith in people. He wanted it. It was at the heart of who he was. He wanted to believe that he could at some point get that energy back from people. Now, there was one particular day I'll never forget where Joseph had finally, after you know, a little bit of my young man coaching, which I didn't know anything about picking up girls back then, but I was just trying to help my buddy out. I kept telling him, I was like, hey, man, you know, you're into the pastor's daughter. If you feel that strongly about her, why don't you just go tell her? Why don't you just go, like, oh, just go ask her out, man? <sighs> I regret doing that to this day because uh, he did. And it went bad. It went very bad. But she laughed at him and made fun of him. And then the pastor got involved and pulled him to the side, technically to the side, but also in front of other members of the church and basically told him to cut it out. And then mentioned, you know, some stuff about him probably not making it as a pastor in a few sermons where he kind of alluded to the fact, low key, and started even treating him as such. 
taking him off of specific details, not letting him have specials uh, where he would sing, you know, for the church, because he used to do specials where he would sing like a song that he felt was appropriate, and he would sing it himself, and he wasn't a great singer at all, but I mean, he loved God so much that he just did. Those are the things that he did. He did these things in service. He was a service-driven person. He loved being of use, helping people, being kind and generous. And uh, all the people that he loved and trusted and respected were not giving him that energy back. And the tail end of the time that we were together when I was 18, when I was getting ready to go off to to, um, to the Navy, he uh, we stopped hanging out as much. And uh, I rem- I'll never forget, I, s- I just kind of just stopped hanging out with him. And I remember he was very bitter towards the end because of how the whole thing went down with him trying to, you know, trying to date the pastor's daughter. And, and he just didn't seem the same. He just seemed like angry. And when I would hang out with him, he would just stay in his room and do his schoolwork on his computer. He didn't really come out and talk very much. And I would just sit in his living room and play video games and kind of talk to him through a wall. And we would kind of go and get something to eat and come back. It was, it was, it wasn't much to towards the end of our, of our friendship. So I, 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 you know, I went through life. I went off, I did things. I had some victories. I had some failures, you know, a, a marriage, a divorce under my belt into a new relationship and a kid. And then I moved back to San Antonio. Years later, I had to have been like 28, almost 30 or something like that. When I had probably about, about almost around 30. And uh, I walked in the door, I see my mom, you know, she sees, you know, Lily, you know, her granddaughter, her second, you know, her second granddaughter, you know, who did some ho-hums, she met the new girl, we, you know, did the pleasantries, and then my mom, like, immediately goes to, did you hear about Joseph? I was like, what? Joseph who? Hadn't thought about him in years. Never crossed my mind. Then she was like, uh, Joseph from Redemption. I was like, oh, Dang, yeah, Joseph, yeah, my my boy, how, dude, how is he? Like, you know, I'm like, back then, I missed that guy. Like, all immediately feelings welling up about the anticipation of seeing an old friend. She was like, no, you know he killed himself, right? <laughs> I immediately fell to the floor, like, head hitting the new tile floors that my parents had installed in this house. It used to be all carpet because I was like, I was a little kid again. Bam. Hit the floor sobbing because I I felt, I felt like I had abandoned him. I knew why I knew immediately in all of that. Why? Why he was gone. Fear-based actions. Fear-based actions and the easy way out. We can't take the easy way out. We just can't. 
It's a story that I don't tell very often because it usually always upsets me, but it's a story that's always helps me to to keep perspective. And I tell people this all the time. Dan, sorry, someone's talking to me. But uh, I say this to people all the time about not trying to find faith in people. And Joseph, it wasn't that he was particularly running from anything, but it can kind of become that if you if you do the wrong things for the wrong reasons for too long and then you start trying to look for a way out some people they start doing things that they never used to do before they start new habits or they try to go to a new place or they try to escape a living situation or they try to escape a relationship or they try to get away from from old behaviors or things about themselves that they don't like and in that escape, a lot of times you can fall into another trap that you weren't even prepared for, that you didn't even see coming because you weren't looking at anything but an escape. That's the reason why um, in uh, in rescue, in water rescue, um, there's a saying, and I've said this in previous podcasts, about when uh, someone's drowning and the, the water rescue people jump in to rescue them, they have a protocol that if you are out of control and you start to drown them, they can actually drown you so that they can get away and survive and go rescue the next person. Because two drowned people is not an improvement over one. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's important to have self-control, to understand why we do the things that we do and to be focused and intentional about our lives. So anybody going into 2022 with, I just want it to be better than 2021 and 2020. As long as it's better than that, I'm good. As the benchmark for how they're going forward the next couple of years, you're in for more of the same. And the reason why I say that is because that's how we got here to the COVID, to the lockdowns, to what's happened in Australia, and them losing their freedoms, to what's happened in China. To what's happened, I mean, the totality, the, 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 I don't know if, I, if, I mean, I don't normally talk about these kinds of things because I could talk about these kinds of things all day. But I mean, I know that I am not the only one who smells the totalitarian, the totalitarianism in the air. I know I'm not. I can't be. It's impossible. That's the reason why everybody's walking around with that sour-ass look on their face. is because we all know we're in a box right now. Fear-based actions. That's what got us with the masks and the, the lockdowns. Oh, do, do we, did, did everyone forget about, the, uh, about what happened in Texas with the, uh, that, that freeze? Fear-based actions. I mean, I was, I was in, I was in. Uh, what was what was a town called? I was in. 
Alvord, Texas. Look it up on a map if you can find it. I was in Alvord, Texas. When uh, that, when that, when those the rolling blackouts and the, those the turbines froze, Urquhart, Urquhart, whatever. No, it still surprises me to this day that nobody went to jail for that. Nobody went to jail. Nobody. People died. I mean, shoot, in China, you can get shot for having a bad business. Like. Pfft. Nobody even got fired. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Look into it. Look into it. ERCOT and the and the whole thing. I mean, there was a, there was another electric company in that. I can't remember their name off the top of my head, but yeah. And what was going on in that? I mean, it was just it was fear based action, fear based action in all the major cities. It was it was all over the TikToks. You TikTok was blowing up with what was going on in texas people's houses caving in i remember i remember i told people fear-based actions right because i could talk about this for hours i remember when i was growing up my my stepdad used to always talk crap about those kb homes you know those homes that you know, you, you know what I'm talking about when I say this. Like, they have, like, a whole crew and nothing with Mexican workers on this job site. And they build up, like, a, a whole bunch of these little little cookie-cutter houses in, in this little neighborhood. It just pops up overnight, like, pops up in, like, like, like six or seven or eight months. You know, got, got these big-ass houses. All of them look the same in this area. And he used to tell me, and I didn't know what he was talking about at the time. So those things aren't going; they're, they're only meant to last like ten years because they don't let the uh, they don't let the substrate settle the way they're supposed to to settle traditionally. There's like a, there's a time frame that you're supposed to let that foundation settle. My stepdad told me this, and then I'll be damned if not ten years later, <laughs> all these people, you know, KB homes, they were selling them homes like hotcakes, right? Little cookie cutter homes. Everybody moving into these homes, thinking they the shit. Cause anything's better than an apartment, right? You know, move out to his own, get their little, get their little cookie cutter homes. All the houses you barely got a yard. You're right next door to somebody else. Damn near can hear everything and see everything they're doing over their place. But that's better though, right? You know, anything's better than an apartment. You know, rent to own all that, right? So, so you get one of these houses in these little cookie cutter neighborhoods. These houses are only meant to last 10 years, and then you get hit with some once-in-a-lifetime shit like what happened with that Texas freeze, and your roofs are caving in, and your foundation is completely just gone because it's not built to handle that. It's a cookie-cutter house. You didn't know that because you weren't thinking about it. I mean, you weren't. And uh, fear-based actions. It can get you into situations like that. Not taking your time, not saving your money, not planning ahead. I'm living that right now. I'm living the consequences of that. That's the reason why I say these things is because nobody told me. I didn't know about podcasts. I was growing up there weren't podcasts. You just had an old person that you might so happen to run into that saw something in you that was like, hey, you know, um, you shouldn't do that, buddy. <laughs> I had a few of those in my life. That was probably the best advice my stepdad ever gave me. 
when uh, when I first uh, started going to church with him, he said, you know, you see, you see these old men? I want you to hang hang around the old men. And this is what I want you to do. He said, I want you to be quiet and I don't want you to say anything. I just want you to listen. And if one of them so happens to ask you a question, I want you to answer honestly and truthfully. And whatever happens, happens. And only answer what is asked. And uh, I learned a lot from that because I found myself in circles of older, wiser, more successful men telling me things that they thought I should know and me being wise enough to sit there and listen. See, the, the young men of today, don't they, don't they don't know nothing about that. Everybody thinks they know every damn thing, even when they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And we'll, and we'll just say just about anything for clout and for, for attention or for whatever. I'm sure there's someone right now that's listening to my podcast going, this guy's just talking bullshit. I'm like, yeah, sure, sure I'm talking bullshit because you can't think. <laughs> fear-based actions it's easy to do dumb shit when you're afraid to do the right thing it's easy and that's where we're in the mess that we're in right now that's the reason why everybody's walking around with a mask knowing damn well that they ain't gonna die <laughs> looking stupid and now we got all these variants and people are you can feel the lackluster in the response because the variants change, right? Like new strain of this this killer bee that's going around. But nothing changed with the first or the second or any of the other stuff. I mean, nothing really changed. People were still traveling. People were still getting around. Everybody waiting for the change. And now... <laughs> looking at each other nervously every time we walk into a room with people with even one mask on. Like, do we put it on? Do we not put it on? Do we? <laughs> the anxiety that that must bring some people. It's fear-based actions. That's what happens. Run around like chickens with our heads cut off. Focus and calm are so important. I don't tell this story very often, but this is the last story I'll tell. And it's just, it's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. But before I say that, I will say this, is that I do not nor have I ever been a big fan of governments. And there will come a time where I'll start talking about, you know, my, my beliefs with, with the government and stuff like that. And I would love for people to, to chime in and, and send me feedback. And I would love to even have interviews or, or, or have talks with people about, about the stuff and put them on the podcast. Cause I, I really want to get to a place where I can have conversations with people and, and, and have them, have them public. Cause I like conversations and conversations are important. I think, I think a lot of, of that is lacking in the world of people just being able to communicate or even being willing to, you know, so in the government, I feel in a lot of ways is always trying to stifle that or create barriers to that uh, for its own ends. And, uh, and they use fear to do it. And they use the media to do it. And if you have not been paying attention during this whole COVID thing and with the Weinstein thing and with, uh, I don't know, I could list a number of things that, I mean, give people a little bit of fear just thinking about. I mean, uh, uh, the, the pedophile rings. 
that are being busted by 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 deep state officials and 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 state troopers and stuff that's not being reported or talked about. There's lots of stuff that's going on that should have you in a little bit of a panic or a little bit of a of a state of fear. There are legit things to be afraid of. The moves that China's making. There 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 are a lot of things. <laughs> you know, a lot of things. Uh, the fact that China is almost uh, damn near bought all of Africa, infrastructurally wise. So I mean, like this, there's lots of stuff. There's lots of stuff to be legitly afraid of. I'm not saying that that, that there's no that there, that we should should not make allowances for fear. Fear is important. Keeps us focused. Keeps us alert. Keeps us wanting to be alive. Keeps us moving forward. Even when we're moving back sometimes. Helps us to reassess, to readjust. Helps us to gain perspective. See things for what they are, not what we'd want them to be. Encourages us to pay attention. There are, there are many benefits to fear. But living in fear, walking in fear, speaking out of fear. These, these are things that are bad acting out of fear fear-based actions these these things lead to problems not just for you but for everyone around you for anyone that you could possibly meet because the things that i talk about are things that affect you across time so i mean sure you're good now what do you freaking do but you know shit happens rolls downhill compounds gets out of control and sometimes things can run away from us if we if we ignore shit for too damn long like governments like holding people accountable and if you're too busy running around running away from things running away from your past running away from things that you should be fixing running away from whatever you're running away from you could be running headlong into someone else's trap yeah, I meant that exactly how I said it. Relationships, uh, everything. I mean, because this, this spills over into so many areas of your life. It was like, like the podcast where I was talking about parallel processing. You know, any, any action that you create a habit of, of, of making, it, it, it can spill over into other stuff. And it can become like a solid habit. Just because you do it all the damn time. So you can develop a habit or a pathology towards fear-based actions to where where as soon as you feel the least bit off about a situation, you bounce. You can't always do that. (laughs) There are going to be many situations in life where you can't bounce. You ignore a ticket long enough, you will not be able to bounce from that. And for those of you who don't understand slang, I mean leave or vacate the premises of it. So, yeah. And sorry again. But anyways, back to what I was saying. Um, The fear-based action I was talking about, I lost my train of thought for a second. Uh... Yeah, because I'm done talking about governments. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to get go down that rabbit hole. 
The importance of self-control. Oh, yeah, I was going to tell you that last story, but, you know, hold on. I remember now. It was a story about my sister. It's a pretty funny story. You're probably going to laugh. My sister, this is, this is my, my sister this year younger than me. You know, for, for the sake of the story, because me and her don't get along, uh, I'll just call her Kay. <clears throat> and so all the siblings that were here in this particular day on this funny event is uh, Kay, uh, my sister, which is the technically the middle child, uh, which we'll just call her Ray. And uh, N is the baby brother. And I'm the oldest. My parents go to the store. My sister, Kay, decides to go into mom's room and start messing with her makeup. And I don't know how. To this day, we don't know how. She manages to get super glue on her eyelashes while she was holding nail polish remover. So she runs into the living room screaming, saying, I can't open my eyes. <laughs> and I turn around to notice that she's, of course, super glued. Her eyelids shut, not like caked on, but... I mean, they're stuck together, and she can't barely, like, see. Like, she can, like, hardly even open her eyes. Like, that's how stuck they are. And she was in there painting her nails, apparently, and trying to put on fake nails. And I guess she thought that she was going to be using super glue, or well, as technically it was crazy glue, that she was using to put these fake nails on. And when she was trying to take them off, she must have gotten uh, super glue on her eyelashes. And so my baby brother, N, busts out laughing. He hits the floor. Like, he's rolling on the floor laughing. It was like an awkward silence for about, like, two seconds. And then he was gone. He was, he was, just, he was, he was laughing hysterically. I'm sitting here freaking out because in these old, you know, Southern Baptist families, the oldest gets blamed for everything. So I'm immediately imagining my ass beating. They're awaiting me. So <laughs> I'm like, shit. So my sister starts frantically running around the room. Me, I am like on the verge of panic. On the verge of panic. Because I'm like, this is bad. This is fucking bad. This is fucking bad. And I can't think straight for shit. Because I don't know Jack about... I'm, I'm what, what What was I at this time? I'm 14. I don't know Jack about... <laughs> I, I didn't even know that you could glue freaking nails onto your nails. Let alone that you could get super glue on your eyelashes. So I'm just like, complete brain fog. Like, don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Brain fog. She's... Starts frantically looking for scissors. Because <laughs> one eye, she can manage to like somewhat open. So she's frantically looking for scissors. So she's running around looking for these damn scissors to do her hair with. I mean, not to do her hair with. Uh, to, <laughs> to cut her eyelashes off with. 
Because she was like, I'm going to cut my eyelashes off. I'm going to cut my eyelashes off. <laughs> but you can't see. So she's got these giant freaking, you remember the old school scissors? You know, like the ones that your, your teacher used to use that you weren't supposed to touch. Like the ones your mom had, like somewhere in a drawer. And those things were made out of like freaking iron. And they were heavy as all hell. And it was all metal. You know, like fucking shears. You remember you know, those? So she had a pair of those up to her down. <laughs> Ashes. And my little brother's like, like, yes, yes, we're doing this. Like, like, cut the, cut them, do it, do it now. Like, rolling. I'm like, oh God. I'm freaking out. Luckily, my middle sister is, is, but she was always the brains. She jumps in, Ray, and says that, uh, no, 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 no. We, we, we're not going to do that. We're going to get the bottle. Of super glue, we're going to read the instructions. So she's frantically reading the instructions in the kitchen. And it says use cold water and apply, you know, with the ice to a towel or whatever to the eye until the super glue blotches up and then you remove it. So, we're, of course, we're doing that for a good minute. And it's working kind of, sort of, but it's not getting it all the way. And so, Chemist, of course, is getting completely impatient. She loses her mind and starts going for the scissors again. Kay's is like, okay, I need to get these scissors. I need to get these scissors and cut off my eyelashes. And so we frantically remove the scissors from her. And in the, somewhere down the road, somebody goes to the neighbors and 911 is called and an ambulance pulls up. And my parents pull up with the groceries as the firemen are coming up the stairs to our apartment complex. And I am dead at this point. I'm dead. I'm sitting here like, okay, it's game over. I'm screwed. I'm not, I'm, I'm going to have, I'm going to have a crap summer and a crap rest of the year. Because then the whole, during that whole thing, I didn't really delegate anything. I was more afraid and just kind of like, uh, uh, uh okay, uh, uh, don't do that. And the whole time I was completely useless. I was a horrible oldest, older brother. And I can, I can readily admit that now. And, but I'll never forget what my stepdad told me. And it's stuck with me all the way until this day. And I, and I literally think of it every time that I'm afraid or even the least bit nervous about anything. It's just the first thing that comes to my mind instinctively. The fire people leave and they tell them that we got it under control. Everything's fine. My mom fumes for a little bit about us having to pay for that visit. And after she leaves the room, he comes to me and he says... Never panic. Ever. When situations like that happen, the one thing you should never do is panic. And and at the time, I was like, easy for you to say. You're like big army guy, you know? But it carried me through life. The ability to not panic when everyone else was losing their heads. And my stepdad, he was always like that. He saved my sister one time when our backyard, uh, the alley in our backyard had flooded. And my sister, my middle sister, Ray, was in the back. And she had got caught in a tide. And he jumped in and saved her. Everybody else was freaking out. Not him. Jumped in, saved her, got her out. There was one time in particular where one of my siblings got locked in the bathroom door and it was like a hard bathroom door. My stepdad just walked up to it, one kick with some cowboy boots and it was open. 
Everybody else panicking. Sober mind is off. Hell, he's always been that way. The day my grandmother died, everybody was bawling and crying. Him and my uh, one of my uncles was out back, you know, leaning against the truck, and he he had spent. The, my grandmother was one of the last people that he spent. They, uh, uh, he was one of the last people my grandmother spent time with before she died. They used to play gin rummy and, and 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 card games and stuff like every night. And everybody else was crying, losing their shit. And he was mourning, but he wasn't losing his shit. But he was mourning. Self control. It's important. It keeps the wolves at bay. It keeps fear at bay. It helps you to make the right decisions when you need to make them. But if you walk in fear and you live in fear and you live in I can't or maybe I shouldn't do that or oh my God, I can't believe this is happening or anything is better than that or whatever whatever you're running away from, nothing good is going to come of it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually the other shoe's going to drop and you're going to be right back where you started. So move forward confidently without fear. And I mean, if you want to get religious, you know, Jesus, you can't, you can't, can't do worse than Jesus. I'm, that's just my own personal opinion. Believe in something, you know. But moving through life, not paying attention to what you're doing, like that's a viable option. Or even worse, making moves out of fear because you're trying to avoid an outcome. Ain't nothing good going to come of it. All right. That's all I got. Thank you for the support. And thank you for listening. For those of you who do. And... Uh, Send this to somebody that you you know that you think might need help. And uh, <clears throat> if you have any uh, any feedback or anything, feel free to reach me. I'll put some links in the description of how to get a hold of me. But uh, yeah. Oh yeah, and a uh, happy new year. <laughs>